Uh, we are back in Luke. Um, if you've been with us any amount of time, you know that we were in a series called True Story. And we kind of took a break for three weeks or so to talk about um, moving and the moving day series. Um, but we're, in this, we're back in Luke today, um, Luke chapter 7. And so while you're turning to Luke chapter 7, let me just tell you this. Um, I did some research this week. Uh, I didn't know how many dating websites there were. I'm not researching because I'm going to need it. Wendy has said that we're good, right? But um, I was just kind of researching dating websites. There are a ton of dating websites, and, and they're, all, they're all geared around the same question, right? And we're going to find this question in our text. Um, and here's the question. Are you the one? They're all geared around, are you the one? Um, how many of you, just show of hands, we're doing our hand-raising thing. We might as well keep doing it. How many of you have heard of eHarmony? Okay, so eHarmony, eHarmony has 7.1 million, everybody say million, 7.1 million unique visitors a month go to eHarmony, and all 7.1 million of those are asking the same question of strangers, they're interacting and they're saying, are you the one? And, and that only makes eHarmony the fifth most popular dating website. The second most popular dating website actually has just over three times as many visitors, 23 million visitors a month go to a website that I had never even heard of, ever. Like, you know, I can remember having a broken heart when you, when you dated, and I can remember my mom saying things like, there's plenty of fish in the sea, right? You ever heard that expression? Plentyoffish.com. Who knew? That's a dating website. Plentyoffish.com. 23 million people a month go to plentyoffish.com to try to find the next fish in the sea. And then number one, um, we did this in the first service and it, it was total chaos, so we'll do it here. I'm going to give you the chance to be brilliant and, and, and just yell it out, okay? Um, who, what, what do you think is the number one dating website? Go. Yeah, Match.com. That was good. All three of you that answered. You took a leap. That's good. Match.com, 35, 35 million unique visitors a month. And they're all asking the same question of virtual strangers. And, and I'm not knocking online dating. I mean, this is the world that we live in, right? But we're all asking the same question. Are you the one? And that's what we're going to find in, in Luke chapter 7. Um, not only, and this is weird about our culture, not only do we like to look for the one, but we also have a little bit of an obsession with watching other people look for the one. The Bachelor. The Bachelorette. Right, like these shows are popular because our culture loves to watch. And I'm going to say this. I know that we kind of pull for the love story, but I think we pull for the train wreck, right? We watch the show like just waiting to see how it's going to blow up in somebody's face when they thought they were going to get the rose and then they didn't, right? But we are obsessed with watching people as they look for the one. So Jesus is in Luke chapter 7, and he gets... He gets some visitors. We're in Luke chapter 7, verses 18. We'll be 18 through 35. And 18 says, John's disciples told him about all these things, all these things being what we've been studying um, previously, uh, the centurion who had faith and, and, and his servant was healed, the widow's son who was dead and, and he raised him to life. John had heard all these things and he sent his disciples and said to Jesus, he said, ask Jesus, are you the one who was to come or should we expect another one? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who was to come or should we expect 
someone else. So what's interesting about this is the perfect place for us to pick back up in the series is, and I'm not going to go through all 19 previous weeks of Luke, right? But just, just to sum up what the gospel of Luke's all about. If you own a Bible, there's 27 books in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, this is the third book of the New Testament. If you have a device with it on there, it's still the third book, but you don't actually have to flip to it, right? So here's how it got into your Bible. This is a story behind Luke, just a fresher, to refresh our memories. Um, There was a man named Theophilus. Theophilus was a wealthy businessman, and he lived as, as the eyewitnesses to Jesus were kind of starting to die off. That was when Theophilus lived. And so he went to Luke, who was a doctor, and he said, hey, doc, listen, here's the deal. All these eyewitnesses are dying off. I keep hearing these crazy stories about a man named Jesus. I hear stuff like, like a virgin gave birth to him, and he, like, he died on the cross. He, he was, he'd raised people from the dead. He fed 5,000 people one time, not even counting all the kids and the wives. Like he did cra- and then he rose from the dead. I've heard these crazy stories, and I don't know if they're true. So here's what I'm going to do. I want to know if they're true, so I'm going to fund you. Leave your practice, go off, interview all these eyewitnesses, and I want you to find out, investigate, are these stories true? And so Luke did that, and he came back and he gave Theophilus a report, and that report is Luke in your Bible. The Gospel of Luke in your Bible is the report that Luke gave back to Theophilus. And listen, it was all centered around the same question, right? Is Jesus the Messiah? Is he the one? And so here we are in Luke chapter 7. We're kind of picking up there. And John the Baptist is asking Jesus the same question that Theophilus asked Luke. Is Jesus the one? And so here's what we're going to learn. We're going to answer that question. Here's, here, you've got note sheets. You should have note sheets. I hope you have note sheets. You've got two points and some sub points in there. Um, take lots of notes. This is good stuff, okay? Here's the first point. With Jesus, it's one or none. So I'm going to offend some people right, right away, okay? Um, Duke fans. <laughs> Sorry. So if I say, um, if I say, just hang with me, don't throw anything. If I say one, one and done, if you're a Duke fan, you think of all the times that Duke went to the NCAA tournament and they were supposed to win it all, but they would play like Lehigh in the first round and they would lose and they would be one and done. We can also talk about Tar Heel fans. What we can't talk about is state fans. That's who I pull for because they never go to the tournament, right? So we can't talk about them. So if you're, a, if you're a fan of a sporting team and they go to a tournament, you don't like the phrase one and done because what that means is there were high expectations and you underperformed and now you're out, okay? With Jesus, it's never one or done. It's, it's one and done. It's one or none. And here's what that means. There's no middle ground okay so kind of using this little dating analogy what john the baptist did not say to jesus was listen um are you the one and it's okay if you're not because we'll just kind of hang out together and chill and we'll just kind of like you know date a little bit i'll kind of get that's he did he's like are you the one and if you're not i'm gonna look somewhere else i'm not playing games here i need an answer are you or are you not the one And I love the passion of that question. And it so highlights who Jesus was. Jesus didn't come to play games. He didn't bat his eyes. He didn't didn't lower his head. He didn't hide whenever he would say things like, I am God. He is the one. So let's ask that question. Is Jesus the one? And how do we answer it? 
I gave you, as you came in, you were given by the greeters two sheets of paper, one's for notes. The other sheet has this little weird flow chart on it with some weird fonts and that kind of stuff. And, and all it does is just kind of helps you break down the answer to that question. Because if, if you say to Jesus, are you the one, how many possible answers are there? Who can tell me? Two, right? Yes or no. Now what the world has done, because the world doesn't know how to handle Jesus is they've invented a third answer, which is not true at all. And their answer is, um, kinda, right? That's their answer. The most popular answer in the world to the question, is Jesus God? Who is Jesus? The most popular answer is this, well, he's a good moral teacher. But, but that can't be true, right? He either is the one or he is not the one. I'm not going to talk through that flowchart. I've given it to you so that you can have that to keep. Study it. If you didn't get one on the way out, ask the greeters. They'll give you one as you leave. Just so you can have a reference to kind of how to work through those answers, right? Is Jesus God? Yes or no? Are you the one? Yes or no? But let's just talk through this. If if he can't be a good moral teacher, why can Jesus not just be a good moral teacher? And my guess is you've had conversations with people and, and they've said, like, you know, who's Jesus? You're like, he's God. And like, I don't know if he's God, but, I mean, he was a great man, a good teacher. You've heard people say that. Let me tell you why that can't be true. Because Jesus is either God or he isn't. And if he isn't God, then he's either a liar because he claimed to be God and knew that he wasn't, which means he can't be a moral teacher because moral teachers wouldn't lie. Or he's a lunatic because he truly believed he was God, but he wasn't which would make him not a good teacher because a lunatic, lunatic can't be a good teacher. Um, I tried to find out in the middle of the services because I, I remember this movie I saw and I cannot for the life of me remember the name. Um, it's an older movie and I want to say maybe Billy Crystal's in it, but, what, but the whole scenario is um, there's a bunch of people that are kind of on, and it's just on the, on the psych unit of a hospital. They never get to go out. And so the, the person who's taking care of them um, he gets this brilliant idea. He, he pulls strings that they're going to rent a van. He's going to get all these guys on the van, and they're going to go to a baseball game together. Great idea, except on the way to the baseball team, the van breaks down. And as he's trying to call somebody to get people to come fix it, all the people from the hospital, all the patients scram. And so all these patients are loose in the city when they should be in a van with their doctor. It's a comedy. It's a great movie. The one part I remember is this. One of the men in the movie thinks he's Jesus. He's convinced he's Jesus. And so they show him in the hospital. He's walking down the hall. And as he's walking down the hall, he passes a gurney. And there's a man laying on the gurney who's obviously sick. And the man who thinks he's Jesus turns to the guy on the gurney and says, rise my son and walk. And just continues going down the hall. And in the background as he's going down the hall, you watch this dude on the gurney struggle to get up. And then slump on the floor because he's not healed, right? Because this dude's not Jesus. Like in our world, if somebody, if somebody came up to you at lunch today and said, hello, I'm Jesus. I don't mean Jesus, Mexican restaurant waiter. I mean, like he says, I'm Jesus. You're saying you're crazy. For Jesus to claim to be God and know that he wasn't would have made him a lunatic. So I, I, this is all from C.S. Lewis, a brilliant man. His answer was always this. Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. 
And that's the flow chart that you have. When you start to ask, ask those questions, is Jesus God, yes or no? If, he's, if you say no, then was he a liar or a lunatic? He's either a liar, lunatic, or Lord. Here's the long quote that that comes from. Let me just read it to you from C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity. He says this, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. That I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who thinks he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. This is critical. When we ask the question, are you the one? The only answers that you have available to you are yes and no. He either is Lord or he is not. You have no wiggle room. You can't just say, ah, maybe. You have to decide. And if we decide that he is Lord, it changes the way that we live. Here's the second point. Before I give you the blanks, let me say this. Have you noticed that making the decision to follow Jesus doesn't always make your life better? Have you noticed this? That sometimes that decision can actually make things worse? So let's just be really clear. And, and you may not come back and it's all good. I understand that. But let's just be clear. We're not saying to you that when you accept Jesus as your Lord, life becomes a fairy tale. Because Jesus never said that. Never said that. He said, in this world, you will have trouble, right? But what I love about, about the second point is this. When Jesus is Lord, we may have difficulties, but the difficulties will not derail us. Difficulties don't derail us when Jesus is our Lord. Jesus is the one, no doubt about it, and John is facing difficulties. So we can't think that we're better than John, that if he faced difficulties... We won't face difficulties. The difference is that, that we will face difficulties, but they will not derail us. So I want to end this morning looking at um, just between verses 18 and 35, three different difficult things that John faced and that we're going to face. Okay, so here's the first one. Um, there's not blanks on your sheet. You can just jot them down on your note sheet. Um, the first thing that we'll face is difficult situations. Huh, can I get an amen? amen? Anybody facing difficult situations right now? It happens all the time. It's part of life, right? So John, John probably would have loved to have gone to Jesus and asked him this question himself. But does anybody know why John couldn't go to Jesus? He's in jail, okay? And not for like embezzling. He's in jail because of Jesus. He's in jail because he's preaching truth. And, and so John the Baptist, you got to, uh, again, see how, like his role in the kingdom of God. John the Baptist is like a, a, a fullback. I'm so ready for football season to start. Can I get an Amen. A lot of men's voices. I love that. Okay, so, so John the Baptist is like the fullback who busts through the line to make the way for the tailback that's running the ball to score the touchdown. Okay, Jesus is 
God. He's come to seek and save the lost. And John the Baptist is busting through the line. He's making the way. That's what the Bible says that he did. And the result of making the way got him in jail. Isn't that great? Fantastic. So John the Baptist is in jail. He's facing a difficult situation. And he sends Jesus this message, are you the one? So a couple things about that. It's totally okay to follow Jesus, believe in Jesus, and have doubts. Totally okay. My wife, uh, Wendy and I, we, we refer to a season in our life as the Job years. Maybe you've been through those kind of seasons as well. When just everything that was up is down and what you thought you could count on is gone. And just like, you're just like, what hit me? You, know, have you, ever, you ever been in the ocean and your body surfing and you, get, you catch the wave and it just slams you into the ground. And you kind of come up out of the water like, oh, that was, and you turn around and bam, there's another wave. You ever been there? That's kind of what the Job years were like for us. And you're just like, I can't, I'm, I'm disoriented. I don't know what's going on. Man, it's okay in those seasons. I can remember laying, I can remember kneeling beside my bed with Wendy and us just praying like, God, I, I know you're real. I mean, it's real, right? You ever pray like that? I know the word's true. I mean, it's true, right? And that's where John the Baptist is. He's in prison. And we know from Matthew 14 that he ends up beheaded. Like his head is on a platter given as a gift. That's not, that's not how you want your life to end right there, you know? And so he's kind of like, okay, I I'm pretty sure it's true, but like, are you the one? And so if you're in a difficult situation, you're facing those kind of doubts, um, don't for a second try to tell yourself you're wrong for doubting. Do what John the Baptist did. He took his doubts to Jesus. Just take your questions to Jesus. Ask Jesus the question, are you the one? And you'll find out that you are. Greatness in the kingdom is never tied to the circumstances that we're in. It's always tied to our confession of Jesus as Lord. Always always you're going to face difficult situations here's the second thing you'll 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 face and none of you can relate to this at all but john 7 29 through 32 um you'll face difficult people i know you have no difficult people in your life at all everything's rosy um 29 says all the people even the tax collectors when they heard jesus's words acknowledged that god's way was right because they'd been baptized by john but the pharisees and experts in the law rejected god's purpose for themselves because they had been baptized by John. Verse 31 says this, to what then, Jesus is talking, can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not cry. So we don't use that kind of language a lot, right? When's the last time you looked at your coworker and was like, I feel like we should play a dirge. We don't use that language a lot. So let's talk about what that's like. Um, so they're saying, look, we played a, we played a happy song. And he didn't dance. So we thought, I guess you want a sad song. So we played a country song. <laughs> and you didn't, you didn't cry. So it's like, do you have people in your life that they're never satisfied? Do you have people that you, like, you cannot please them? Is it your boss? <laughs> Who is it in your life? Um, if you're a student, you're like, I, I got a teacher. I, I mean, I can't do anything right. Um, if, you're, if you're a teenager, you might feel that way about your parents. Um, all of us have people in our lives that we're just like, I can't ever get it right. I did this and they hated it. So I did the exact opposite and they hated it. That's kind of what he's saying. He's saying, look, you're, you're going to face difficult people. And I, I can guarantee you this. When you say yes to Jesus being the one, when you say he is Lord, 
you will face difficult people. They will find you. And John was okay with that. He was okay with that. Knowing that Jesus was Lord anchored him in that moment. Here's the third thing that we'll face. Um, we'll face difficult criticism. It's interesting. It's one thing to be around difficult people. Because have you noticed that you can, you can kind of endure difficult people unless they start talking. Right? And so difficult people say difficult things. Right? Sometimes we have to endure difficult criticism. That's what Jesus said about himself and John the Baptist. Um, verse 33 says, For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. So John the Baptist doesn't eat bread, he doesn't drink, and he's got a demon. The Son of Man, Jesus, came eating bread and drinking, and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And so Jesus is like, like you criticize John, and now you criticize me. And I just want you to understand, I want y'all to get this. Like, we're going to face difficult criticism. Let me make sure you understand what criticism is. Criticism is when people say things to you that make them look better, but don't help you get better. That's criticism. Somebody who says hard things to you so that you can get better, that's called a friend. Okay, that's a good thing. I hope you, I hope if you're, if you're married or you're getting, I hope you marry somebody like that. My, my life is better. I know it's hard to imagine me being a good man, but like you should have known me before I met Wendy, right? I mean, I am so much better because of Wendy in my life. Because she just, she speaks truth to me in a way that makes me want to be better. A criticism that Jesus is talking about here, it's just people that want to say things about you to make themselves better, but not make you better. And we're going to face that, right? If you've ever said to your friends, Jesus is Lord, um, they've tried to convince you that you're an idiot if they don't believe in Jesus. You're going to face difficult criticism, and that's okay. It's okay. So what was Jesus' advice for us if we face difficulties? It's this last verse, verse 35. It says, um, I'm reading from the NIV. It says, but wisdom is proved right by all her children. And that's a weird little translation. You might have a, a, a version that says, but wisdom is proved right by her actions. And so Jesus says this, look, you're going to face difficult situations. You're going to face difficult people. You're definitely going to face difficult criticism. And what should you do as a result of all that? He just said, hey, wisdom's going to be proved right by her actions. So what is, what is wisdom? What is wisdom? Proverbs 9.10. Proverbs 9.10 says, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Um, if in your version, Lord is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And it, maybe you've seen that and you're like, why do they always have capital letters? That means, it, because Lord means Jehovah. That's the name that's used there. It's translated Lord, Jehovah. So um, the fear of, the, of Jehovah is the beginning of wisdom. And so you got to ask yourself this question. It, it, who is Jehovah? I mean, is Jesus Jehovah? Is Jesus Lord? Um, this past week, I was sitting at my house at the computer and I was typing and I saw a car pull into our driveway and I didn't recognize the car. So I did what anybody would do. I was like, Wendy, what's up? Who's coming to visit us? And she looks at it and she's like, I don't, I don't know that car. Sometimes people are turning around, but this car parked and somebody got out of the passenger seat and we didn't recognize her at all. 
And then she started going to the front door, and that was a clue that she doesn't know us because we use the side door. I don't know if you're a side door, front, but we're, we're side door people. So I go out the side door. There's a person. There's two people in the car, and then there's a lady walking to my front door. And I was just like, hey, what's up? And she turned around, you know. She came back. The, the, I noticed the, the passenger window went down. I'm like, this is interesting, right? And she walked over, and she said, um, hey, we're just kind of, like, just kind of like, um, you know, like, like, out, like out in the neighborhood today, uh, just kind of handing out like some pamphlets and stuff. And I um, didn't know if you might want to copy the Watchtower magazine. And um, if you might like have some time to maybe talk about that. And I, I did what you would have done. I screamed really loud and ran the door and slammed it. <laughs> no, no. I said, absolutely. I mean, yeah, what do you want to talk about? And she was not used to that right so she she opened her bible she said can i read you a verse and she read a verse about jehovah from the old testament and she said you know i, I could tell like she's, she's leading me somewhere she reads it and she goes do you know do you know who jehovah is <laughs> no i don't know i said absolutely jesus is jehovah and she went what what I said, jesus is jehovah let me read you another verse. And she read me another verse, and she told me unequivocally, she said, this is why, like, we, Jesus is not Jehovah. And I said, oh, ma'am, I, I mean, I'm, I don't want to differ with you. I'm just telling you, I know that Jesus is God. Because John 1.1 1, 1 says that the Word was with God, and then the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And I said, Jesus is most definitely God. It got real quiet. Well, we're giving these pamphlets out to people, and if you'd like, take it, and, and it, Thanks. And I was like, hey, come back anytime. Anytime you want to come back, we'll talk about Jesus. I love to talk about Jesus. Listen, Jesus is God. She struggled to see Jesus as Jehovah. But Jesus is God. Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 23 says this, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jehovah is Lord. And last week we were studying Philippians chapter 2. And what does it say in verses 9 through 11 about Jesus? That every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. See, that Jesus is Jehovah. Jesus is God. He is Lord. Jesus is the one. And while I really think that you should be like standing up and applauding the amazing way that I presented that truth, I know that for most of you, what you're saying to yourself is, so what now? And I'm glad you asked. So I'd like to close this morning with a real simple illustration. But you've got to understand what a paradigm is. Okay? I had a man in the first service walk up and say, thank you for explaining a paradigm. I always thought it was two dimes. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I've actually never had a paradigm. So, um, so let's talk about what a paradigm is. A paradigm is just a way of seeing the world right? A paradigm is, it's a worldview. It's, it's kind of your filter for how you see things. Um, when you hear certain things, the way that you interpret that, it's coming through your filter. That's your paradigm, right? Let me give you a real quick example of a paradigm shift. A paradigm shift is when you have a certain way of looking at the world and something forces that to change and now you suddenly see the world very differently, okay? Real quick example and then we'll wrap this thing up. 
There was a man who was um, on a subway. He was just chilling on the subway, reading his newspaper. And um, the subway stopped, the doors opened, and in walks a father and like four of the craziest, wildest kids you've ever seen. Some of you are thinking, how do my kids get in this story? That's weird, right? So the kids are on the subway, and they're just loud or obnoxious. They're going, they're, they're, hitting the guy's paper I mean they are they're they're there like they're loud and and the father's just sitting on the subway just sitting there and the man is telling the story he's he's getting madder and madder like you know know, your blood starts to boil your chest gets tight you start to see white around the edges of your peripheral vision you know and he's just like had it and when he couldn't take it anymore he just he turned to this father and said sir would you please get your kids under control and the man looked at him and said, oh, sir, I'm so, I'm so sorry. Like we, we, we just left the hospital. Their mother just died. And I don't know what I'm going to do with them. And, and the man telling the story said, like, in that, just that one moment, all the anger he felt turned into compassion. And how can I help you with your kids? He puts his paper down. That's a paradigm shift, right? You see the world one way, something happens, and now everything has changed. So let me explain to you how what we've been talking about for 28 and 52 seconds, how that's going to change your world, okay? There was, for 1,200 years, 1,200 years, people in the world saw the universe a certain way because there was a man named Ptolemy, and it's spelled P-T at the beginning. This, it's a P, the P is silent. His name's Ptolemy. And, and he saw, um, he had this, this, this theory of why the world, why the universe was. When we look at the night sky, why, is, why do things move the way they move? And his theory was this. The earth is the center of the universe. And everything else in the universe revolves around the earth. And so if you go back, you can Google it, and you can see these, these images that were drawn. Sometimes they were like in the fronts of Bibles and the fronts of textbooks, and you'll see the drawing, this huge painting of the earth, and then like, you know, planet, sun, moon, everything revolves around the earth. And for 1,200 years, people believed that that was true. Weird things started to happen, right? Weird things like the smart people that studied the universe started to notice Sometimes it seems like planets would actually stop and go backwards and then move forward again. And this was happening all the time. Like, that's so weird. Now, I don't know what you would do when something challenges the way you see the world. Most people, um, you would think, would maybe change the theory. But no, for 1,200 years, people just continued to write really weird theories to explain why that one theory wasn't explaining the weird stuff that they were seeing. There's got to be a logical reason why that planet's going backwards. And then, oh, wait, so is that one. <laughs> That's weird. So is that one, right? For 1,200 years, this is what they believed. Until a man came along named Copernicum. Copernicum had another theory. Maybe the earth isn't the center of the universe. Maybe the sun is the center of the universe. And so just to drop some really cool words on you that you can use with your server at lunch... After 1,200 years, scientists switched from a geocentric model, the earth is the center, to a heliocentric model, which is the sun is the center. And the craziest thing happened. That one simple shift from earth is the center of the universe to, wait a second, no, the sun is the center of the universe. Everything revolves around the sun. You know what that did? 
it answered all of the anomalies. Suddenly it made sense why it looked like some planets were going backwards because we weren't the center of the universe. Suddenly just shifting the sun into the center of the universe, it addressed all of those questions. Let's bring that into the church. Why is it when we go through difficult times that we stop attending church, we stop serving Jesus, we start to wonder if it's worth it? There's one simple explanation. Because in difficult times, we buy the lie that we're the center of the universe. Why is my life moving backwards now? Everything was going so well. John is in prison. Are you the one? I think you're the one. So Jesus, God, he understands that. But the the shift that has to take place is we have to step out of the middle of the universe, off the throne of our lives, and put the sun there. And when everything revolves around Jesus, suddenly it doesn't make it easier, but everything makes sense. John the Baptist is in prison, and when he realizes that Jesus is the one, he gives his life up. Even though he dies in prison, he died with confidence. He knew that Jesus was the one. I'm going through the Job years, right? God, why would you do this to me? I don't understand. This is crazy. And God's like, dude, it's not about you. Oh, earth out of the center, Paul's life, sun in the center. And then, oh, that's right. I exist for your glory. Glorify yourself through me. Your big idea today is, is maybe the shortest ever and possibly the best one ever. I'm not sure. But it simply says the sun is the one. The sun is the one. Not you, not me. The sun is the one. And just to make sure it's, it's S-O-N. <laughs> You'll walk out and go, today we learned about the sun. Hmm, weird. The sun, Jesus is the one. Man, when, when John the Baptist said, are you the one? Yes. A thousand times, yes. I am the one. I'm going to help you get through difficult situations, difficult people, and difficult criticism. Because I am the one. You can have all the confidence in that the sun is the one and when we make that shift it changes everything it makes all the difference in the world 